Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Hey there, it's Ron. Today's story comes from author and first-time storyteller Megan Sound. She told this story live on June 19th, 2019 at Bumport Theater. The theme of the evening was Framed. to being a parent. Um, My daughter is one year old, and a few months ago, I got my first taste of parental tear. We were in my home office, and I was sitting at my desk, attention split between trying to pay a bill online and watching my daughter slowly crawl and figure out that she could not only go forward, but turning was a thing. I was clicking button after button on the screen, checking and unchecking boxes with too many words next to them for me to read, vaguely aware that I might be agreeing to receive gobs of promotional emails, um, and just hoping that I was at least paying my bill. I glanced down to see my daughter really interested in feeling the carpet right beneath me. And I thought, oh, she's exploring texture. Cool. I was mistaken. Um, I'd like to take a minute to give you a little context. I did not grow up imagining my life as a mother. I have a friend who tells me she always knew she wanted to be a mom. Um, She was the little girl playing house while I was the little girl playing office. Seriously, I used my dad's old leather briefcase and I had carbon paper, (laughs) a date stamper, It was awesome. And while you were out, message slips. (laughs) I was way into Dunder Mifflin before The Office was even a thing. Or I was way into The Office, excuse me, before Dunder Mifflin was a thing. But you understood what I was saying. Um, If I were to take a guess as to why I love date stamping paper and being the boss, it was probably something to do with organization, order, and the power of executive decision. Uh, Three things that a newborn baby expels from existence. (laughs) In fact, even before my daughter's birth, she somehow tricked our nurse midwife into believing her butt was her head for a good portion of my pregnancy so that when I finally had an ultrasound a week after my due date, it revealed she was breech. All the care and preparation I'd done to be ready for a long labor, eating healthily, walking every day, suddenly became useless. They scheduled me for a C-section to be performed the next morning. I was incredibly disappointed, but also knew that what mattered was that this baby, who still seemed more like an abstraction to me than actually my child, um, had made it. And it wasn't, it hadn't come easy. It wasn't miscarriages as it was with a lot of my friends. No, my husband and I had been diagnosed with unexplained infertility. So doctors essentially told us they had no idea why I wasn't pregnant after three years of unprotected sex. So when I peed on a stick and two lines appeared to tell me that I was in fact pregnant, I embraced cliche and sighed, it's a miracle. (laughs) 
By the time my daughter turned eight months old, I felt like some order had returned to my day-to-day reality. Her eating and sleeping were no longer sporadic. She'd actually settled into a nice, predictable pattern. She could hold her head up, sit up on her own, and crawl. I was very pleased with myself as a parent, (laughs) even though I basically had nothing to do with any of those milestones. It's as if the parenting powers that be like got a whiff of my, my arrogance and were like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> so when I picked my daughter up that day from the floor when she was figuring out turning while crawling, she started crying. Immediately, every muscle in my body tensed, and an internal alarm I didn't know existed went off. My body started moving faster than my brain, and I scooped through her mouth and found a tack. It had fallen off of the bulletin board. Inflated parental ego popped. I, what did I do? (laughs) I touched the tip of the tack. Various worst-case scenarios ran through my mind, briefly spinning out to some classic catastrophic thinking, and I started to shake uncontrollably. I can tell when fear forms the thoughts in my mind. I go from being the parent who wants to encourage my daughter's curiosity, from someone okay with doing her like drunk baby walk down the sidewalk, far enough in front of me where she still feels a little bit of independence to the parent who just wants to hover on her heels so close and catch her if she starts to fall so she doesn't scrape her hands on the sidewalk. I was tempted to ban my daughter from my office after the TAC incident, afraid there might be other sharp objects hidden in the carpet. But there's going to be more bills to pay and things to do in my office that require allowing my daughter to hang out in there with me. Maybe like date stamping paper. (laughs) So I vacuumed and vacuumed and vacuum on a regular basis. I do what I can to make sure there aren't choking hazards laying around. If I kept my daughter out of every room of the house that she put a non-edible object in her mouth, she would be out of the house completely. (laughs) She might even eat her way through the dandelion situation in our front yard. So that could be a good thing. (laughs) On May 7th, 2019, I found myself shaking with parental terror again. News of another school shooting. 18-year-old Kendrick Ray Castillo killed at STEM School Highlands Ranch near Denver. I did not know him, his parents, his family, his friends, but I imagined what he might have been like on that day in the morning before he went to school, completely unaware that his life was about to end. I couldn't help but picture my daughter in the future, about to graduate, killed doing what kids do, going to school. Even though I know the odds of my daughter being involved in a school shooting are low, fear makes it feel like sending her to school is as risky as sending her to war. To shift my frame of mind 
From fearful to calm is exhausting because it requires constant awareness of how I'm reacting rather than just reacting. It forces me to turn worries into action, to move my feet in the direction of discomfort. There's nothing fun about it, but I found it's necessary if I don't want terror to hijack how I parent. I participated in National Gun Violence Awareness Day earlier this month by wearing an orange t-shirt. I know wearing an orange t-shirt won't stop the next school shooting, but to see waves of people on social media wearing orange, pictures of city buildings across the country lit up in orange lights, makes me think that there are a lot of us out there acting out of hope rather than fear. Thank you. Yeah, keep it going for Megan. The Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sydney Crane, and Aaron Rollman, with help from Karen Wachtel, Robert Rutherford, Scott Carney, and Jesse Witten. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theatre Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we'd also like to thank Cities of Earth, who provided the outro music you're listening to right now. If you're in Denver, join us for one of our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theatre in Denver, Colorado. For more information about today's storyteller or the narrators, check the show notes for this episode or visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>